Hey everyone, thank you for joining us and welcome again to the By Grace International Audio Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today. Uh, we're going to continue in our series on grace and uh, depending on how far we get, this might be the last one. We may go on another week or two, uh, not quite sure exactly how far we're going to get. But just to recap, uh, the first week we went and we talked about just grace kind of as a general overarching concept and then we went back. Uh, in the second week, and we looked at the Abrahamic covenant of grace and how God dealt with Abraham consistently on the basis of, I will bless you. I will be good to you. I will, I will, I will. And then we saw uh, last week under the Mosaic covenant that uh, God was no longer dealing with the Israelites based on his goodness, on his grace. He was dealing with them based on their performance. They told God that whatever you tell us to do, we are well able to do it. And, and we saw that this old covenant, this Mosaic law, was, was a covenant that was based on works. And we, we know that it was good, but literally the purpose of this covenant was to bring humanity to an end of itself so that no matter what, what we did as people, no matter how good we were, that we could see that nothing we could do would ever allow us to measure up to the goodness of God. And then... God went and he sent Jesus, and Jesus, we know as we're coming up and in this Christmas season here, Jesus died and paid the price for, or he was born first and uh, born, lived a sinless life and uh, under, under the Mosaic law and went and he, he, was, he was the final sin sacrifice for all time, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, and, and no longer was God dealing with mankind based on the merits of their own ability, on their own, uh, their own ability to measure up to, to his standards. He said that no, no more would he deal with men in this way. He, he went and he said that the only way to make a covenant with humanity that humanity can't break is to take humanity out of the center. And, and so the Hebrews tells us that God could swear by no greater, so he swore by himself. He made a covenant with himself that said, Hebrews 8.12 tells us, he said that I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities and their lawless deeds. I will remember them no more. Not based off of anything that we did to earn God not remembering this, but God making a conscious choice to say, I choose to not look at those things. I don't see those things. I see you as perfect through my son. So let's go ahead and let's pick up here uh, in Romans chapter 5, and, and we're just going to go and, and, and just read through this and see what Paul says as he goes and, and lays the foundation coming into this new covenant. And, and um, I, I hope we're going to get here today. I want, I want to go and eventually ask a question that uh, the more you study this, it, it is only a natural outflow of it. So, so Romans 5 and uh, verse 12, or let's back up to uh, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. So notice everything Paul's saying here about our salvation, again, is based on what Jesus did. Through the death of Jesus, we have received reconciliation. Verse 12, therefore, is just through one man death entered the, the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there was no law. There's that idea again, that without the law, sin uh, was not perceived to be sin. Sin wasn't perceived to be wrong. It, was, it, it wasn't something that was consciously there until the law was there. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses 
even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression to Adam, who is a type of him to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And Paul goes, and he repeatedly says over and over here, he goes and says, if Adam's transgression did this, uh, you see this again in verse uh, verse 19, for by, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And so if by Adam's act, Adam's transgression, Adam's sin, this happened to so many people, then how much more will this happen to people through what Jesus Christ has already done? So uh, let's go to verse 17 here. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And he goes and he keeps repeating this over and over and over again. Now notice verse 20. Moreover, the law entered where the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that verse is something that that we like to quote a lot in our Christian circles, uh, but a lot of times we, we don't actually sit and, and begin to unpack what it means. You, you know, uh, so many of, so many of us, uh, myself included, were brought up under this mentality in Christianity that you, you had to do good in order to get good, that falling out of grace meant you sinned. When, when I sinned, I fell out of grace and I needed to go run back to Jesus. But notice what Paul says here again, verse 20. But where sin abounded grace abounded much more. That means wherever there's sin in, in somebody's life, there is grace to take care of that situation. Wherever there's sin in, in a city, there's grace to take care of it. Wherever there's sin in a nation, there is grace to take care of it. Wherever sin abounds, there is more than enough grace available to take care of this situation. Where sin abounds, Grace abounds much more. If there's any kind of sin that, that could hold you back, could, could hinder your life, could damage your life, Paul's saying wherever there is sin and sin in abundance, there is even more of an abundance of grace. There is more of an abundance of grace. How freeing is that for us to know that no matter what we do, no matter how we live our lives, there is more grace available because Jesus Christ is just that good. He is just that good to you. He loved you that much that no longer was his love, his grace, his his. Uh, his righteousness uh, for you based on your ability. Now, don't go and run and, and take this. And a lot of people go and, uh, you know, they make the accusation that grace teachers go and say that, well, you, you go and preach that and you're just telling people that they can go ahead and sin and they can live any way they want. You're just giving them a license to sin. Well, you know, I, I'm just shy of 30 years old here. And uh, if, you're, if you're any older than me, you've probably been sinning long before I ever tried to give you a license. I, I was sinning long before I ever heard that this was a quote unquote license to sin but and we're going we're going to get into this here in the next uh, a few minutes hopefully the the grace of god actually frees you from sin it's not a license to sin it's a freedom from sin but wherever there is sin 
There is grace to cover the sin. Grace, remember we talked about this the other week, grace, anti-grace, grace on top of grace. Now, Paul goes and addresses this question then in chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Notice that this is, this is the natural flow of, of the thought process. Paul is anticipating this here. He says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. One verse passes, and then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, and that's a very good question, and, and I, I'm going to throw this thought out here. If our preaching doesn't lead people to ask that question, we are not preaching the same message that Paul preached. If our preaching and our teaching on grace does not cause people to ask the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We are not preaching the same message that Paul preached. Now notice how Paul answers this question in, in verse 2. He says, certainly not. Now, now the Greek there, he, he actually, he uses some stronger language. He says, me, me genoito, and I, I don't know how to pronounce that. If there's any Greek scholars listening, I apologize for my uh, poor pronunciation. But that, that word there say, it shares the same root as the Greek word Gehenna. Or, or the word that's used there for hell. Paul is literally saying, I, we, we could translate it this way, and I, I can, uh, asked a friend of mine who's uh, well-versed, well-studied in the Greek, reads the New Testament in Greek, I asked her, I said, is this an accurate translation? And she said, yes, you could translate it that way, and it would not be incorrect to the text. Paul's asking, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his response is this, hell no! Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hell no! How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you're dead to something, how on earth could you live any more in it? And he goes on here to, to go into the foolishness of this and, and says that our old man, this body of sin, was crucified. He was done away with, with Jesus Christ, so that we're no longer slaves of sin. Once you're under grace, it's not that you're free to sin, you're actually dead to sin. If you are truly under grace, you know, people go and they say, well, I, I couldn't help myself. I, I, I slept, uh, you know, with, with my neighbor. And, but we're under grace, brother. Uh, well, no, no, you're not. Because if you were under grace, if you were truly walking in the grace that was made available to you, if you were living life through the eyes of grace, you would go and you'd say, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Why would I even want to part to that? I am dead to adultery. I'm dead to fornication. I'm dead to all of those things because Christ has already been raised from the dead. Death has no more dominion over us now because of this. He says in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. We're supposed to reckon ourselves dead to sin. He says in verse 11, and this is, this is something that is so crucial for us as believers to, to grasp that gr the grace of God, the grace of what he has done for us, the grace of what Jesus Christ has done and, and given to us has actually gone and set us free from sin. No longer are we slaves of sin. Do we live this life? And, and, and it's, it's it's such a large concept. I, I hope I'm doing it justice. I, I really believe that the more we go and we begin to dive into this message of grace and this truth about what Jesus did for us on the cross and who he is and and what the grace of God has made available to us, this won't make sin more appealing. 
Uh, on the contrary, it makes sin less appealing because I'm dead to sin. If I'm dead to it, what do I want to do with it? I mean, what would I what would I want to do with something that I'm dead to? I don't go and sit and say, well, uh, Shelby, let's go down to the cemetery and see if we can find some dead bodies to play with. That'd just be gross. I mean, that's disgusting. Why, why would we as Christians go and intentionally try to play with something that's dead? I, I mean, do you, do you see the foolishness here? Now, Let's go over and look to Titus, and, and I'm going to back this, this up here with what Paul writes here in, in Titus. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And we, and we talked about works a, a few weeks ago and, and talked about the works of the believers, the works of faith, zealous for works that flow from faith. So if you're, if you're tracking with me here, he's saying that the grace of God has already appeared to all men. If you've received it, it will teach you how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, how to live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age as we go and live our lives as believers looking towards the, the return of Jesus Christ so that we can go and be purified by him. We, are, we can be presented as his own special people, purified for him, set apart, uh, I believe it's uh, 2 Corinthians says, set apart for the master's work in the message paraphrase. And that is what grace is supposed to teach us. That is how the believer is supposed to live under grace. Grace continues, continues to teach us over and over and over and over that we live our lives not based on a list of uh, of do's and don'ts in the word. We live our lives under obedience to the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and look over at 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians and verse... Uh, chapter 3, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, and verse... Let's start in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Notice that. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, now watch this language here that Paul's using. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. Now let's stop there. The ministry of death. Whatever Paul's talking about isn't good. Anything that brings death isn't good. Right? Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes not before to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Death is always opposite of what God wants for you. God wants you to have life, to live life, to enjoy it more abundantly. And Paul's going and he's saying here that this, this thing that I'm about to tell you is the ministry of death. The ministry of death. And later on he calls it the ministry of of condemnation. And then he says, it was written and engraved on stones. Now, don't ever let anybody tell you that 
the ministry of death and condemnation that Paul is referring to here is strictly the ceremonial law of the Old Covenant. No, what was written and engraved on stones? It was the Big Ten, the Thou Shalt Nots. The Thou Shalt Nots. He says that the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. It was so good. It was such a glorious thing. So glorious, in fact, the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. But watch this. Which glory was passing away? Now then, in verse 8, how then will the ministry of the Spirit be not more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. It exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Paul's saying here, when you go and when you compare what was glorious as the Mosaic law, which was glorious and it was right for its time, when you compare that to the new covenant of grace given to us through Jesus Christ, he says that it has no glory in comparison. When you compare the two, the law, the old covenant, the law of Moses has absolutely no glory in comparison. For what is passing away was glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Uh, therefore, since we have hope, let us use great boldness in speech. And, and he goes on and says that even to this day when people read Moses, there's a veil that lies on their hearts, but the veil is taken away in Christ. Now, I, I, I've got this, and I'd encourage you to go and, and begin to look here in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I've got constant notes here throughout my Bible. Um, Paul, Paul is writing here about two different kinds of glories. There are two glories, two glories, and, and I actually, I, I wrote this after verse 11, I, I called this passage a tale of two glories. You know, Charles Dickens wrote A Tale in the City. Paul's telling us about a tale of two glories. And one of these glories was glorious for its time. The law, the letter, the, the Ten Commandments, all of those were glorious in their time. But when compared to the ministry of the Spirit and the free gift of this grace given to us through Jesus Christ, Paul says there's no comparison. It's like it's not even glory. There, there's no way that it can even hold a candle to what has been done in Jesus Christ. And we're out of time. We're going to go ahead and, and pick up here next week. Thank you again for joining us. Um, make sure you go ahead and check us out on Facebook, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, By Grace International, at By Grace INTL on all social media handles. Um, if you're interested in staying up to date with everything happening in the ministry, go ahead and uh, sign up. For our partner letter, it's, uh, it's on our website, bygraceinternational.com. You can go ahead and register for that there, and we'd love to, to send you a free download once you go ahead and, and sign up for that. Um, it's a message I preached a few months ago titled, Faith is Not a Formula. Uh, we'd love to send that over to you, and we thank you so much for, for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.